Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet, the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. What is a powerful piece of literature? If you've ever read Invictus, heard it recited, it speaks to our soul. It certainly speaks to the perseverance and fortitude of Memorial Day as well. As we look into this poem together and see some of the incredible strengths in this poem, some of the contrasts maybe with the Bible, what the Bible offers that's different from this poem, I hope that it will inspire you that whatever you're facing, you can push through the fear, push through the challenges, and overcome. Now, to do that today, if you opened your program, you'll probably notice it says that Ryan Ventura is speaking today. Uh, Ryan called me up this week. His dad has been in hospice, and uh, his journey in hospice has gotten a lot more severe. So we don't know if it's months, weeks, or hours. So I'm going to be filling in for Ryan today. So if you uh, enjoy this message, tell Ryan thanks for doing Chad's prep work. Um, if, if you hate it, go tell Ryan. Ryan, you should do better next time you hand this over to Chad. So just now I'm filling in for Ryan today. Well, William Henley was an interesting character because when he wrote this poem, Invictus, he had a very difficult life. And you can almost feel that as you're listening to the poem, just the challenges he must have faced. And he certainly did. He was the oldest of six. He lost his daughter, and he struggled most of his life with a skeletal attack from tuberculosis. At one point, he had to have his leg actually amputated from the knee down. In fact, he was friends with Stevenson, who wrote Treasure Island, and Treasure Island uh, based the character Long John Silver on William Hensley. He then was going to lose his second leg to amputation, but he went into the hospital for 20 months during that time in the 1800s. And for 20 months later, they were able to actually save his leg. And he wrote a poem called In Hospital, which became a very famous poem about just the, the challenges of being in the hospital, the challenges of long-term illness and long-term pain. It was out of that he wrote a poem called Invictus. Invictus, scholars have called it the middle finger to the cosmos. It's his way of saying, you have kicked me, you have stomped on me, life has treated me horribly, but I'm not going to let you put me down. I'm not going to let you crush me. This poem is a dark poem. It's an inspiring poem. It's a mysterious poem. But it's a poem that's been quoted by multiple people, from, from Winston Churchill to, to Mandela, quoted this as one of his main sources for freedom for other people. But it's also a poem quoted by Tim McVeigh, Tim McVeigh, what is his motivation for doing evil? 
The whole idea of the poem is that you can just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. If you just have a plan, if you just try hard enough, if you just commit to enough willpower, you can overcome anything and be your own destiny. Just have a plan and and plan to work the plan to succeed. There's something really awesome about that. But there's also something, when you come face to face with life, you realize that the most willpower and power and plan you have doesn't always prevail. As Mike Tyson used to say, everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the face. Then we'll see how your plan does. So I want to look today at the differences between a character in the Bible named Joshua and Caleb, how they were able to find something beyond just invictusing themselves. And to invictus yourself is really to just conjure up the willpower, to conjure up the strength and say, no matter what happens, I'm going to make it. But the Bible says there's, a, there's another reservoir you could utilize. Instead of just Invictus, you could approach life with Lord with us. With Invictus, you are your resource of strength. And so when you run out, you just got to dig deeper and pull it out. You're fearful? Well, just stop being fearful. Life is tough? Well, just be tougher. And there's some good in that. But ultimately, it's limited by you are the limit. You are the only resource you have. And at some point, you try and draw too deeply on that resource or, or dig that deep too many times, you're going to find out nothing hits as hard as life. Now, Lord with us is different. It's the idea that you still want to persevere. You still want to have resilience. You still want to be an overcomer. But you actually also have access to a resource that God is with you. When you run out of strength, he can be your strength. When you run out of courage, he can encourage you, put courage into you. It gives you the benefit of of being immovable and steadfast, yet not being your own reservoir, having access to something greater than yourself. To do that, I want to tell you a historic account of a moment in time that this mindset of Lord with us became very, very powerful in the nation of Israel. As we've been looking in this series, God has led the people of Israel out of Egypt, away from the Pharaoh, as we talked about last week. And now he has brought them to the promised lands. Imagine this is the promised land here. They've been hearing about the promised land for 400 years. For 400 years. And now they are the generation who gets to go in and fulfill promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and and, and through Moses here. As they're going into the circumstance, they're going to send in some spies. And so they come to each of the 12 tribes and say, I want a leader. I want to get the leader of leaders from your tribe. They're looking around. Who's a leader of leaders? Hey, you! Yeah. Yeah, you with no neck. Yeah. You look like you work out. I do. Why don't you come up here and lead? So they get the toughest, strongest 12 spies are going to go in. Each from one of the tribes. And as they head in, these leaders of leaders, their job is not to say, can we do it? God has already said he's going to do it. The question is, how should we do it based on the strategies? So they go to spy out the land and the the... the goal or the instructions they're given is just find out is it good is it bad are their strengths or their weaknesses but be of good courage as you go in be of courage god's gonna do this let's just figure out how he's gonna do it and bring some fruit of the land so we can start to taste what god has for us well as they come back 10 of the spies come back and they say whoa no way we're not gonna do it they give a bad report They see this land is so huge. The people are taller than us. Therefore, their shields are bigger than us. Their swords are bigger than us. Their spears are bigger than us. We're going to get devoured if we go in here. It is so bad, in fact, that when we just got around the people, 
we felt like grasshoppers in our sight. And we certainly were grasshoppers in their sight. But then two spies come back. Same circumstance, same observations, Caleb and Joshua. And they say, wow, it's great. Oh my goodness, the obstacles are big, but we have a God who is bigger. Be of good courage. He will do to us what he has always said he was going to do. It's going to be amazing. So do not fear. Do not rebel against God. Let's go in and see him overcome all the things that are before us. Do not fear. And one group of leaders, leaders... Facing obstacles say, we're not going to be able to invict us ourselves out of this one. The others say, well, maybe we wouldn't, except that we have Lord with us. And if God is with us, who could stand against us? It's in this account in history we find three keys to courageous living. And I want to show you those three keys together in hopes they can give you the courage to encourage you with what you need to face the challenges in your life. The first key is the the power of we over the power of me. The one thing you get a sense as you're reading William Henley's poem is that he's feeling pretty alone. He is the source. He's going to overcome, but it's because everything else has kind of crumbled around him, which is certainly true in his life. Look what it says in the poem. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I just feel those words. It's black. From pole to pole, wherever he looks, there's this darkness and loneliness. No one is going to help him through this, through his sickness, through his pain, through his loss. I thank whatever gods may be. He doesn't have access to a reservoir of God. There may be a God, there may not be a God. I don't have access to him. But whoever gods are, I will thank you for this. I, me, 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 have an unconquerable soul. I'm not going to be defeated. In other words, God's universe, thank you for making me the man. You've made me, so I will not back down. Which is kind of a cool idea. It's also a very lonely idea. It's all about me. It's almost like saying, thank you that I'm the Liam Neeson of my generation. Thank you, I'm Sean Connery. 315. Thank you that you have made me the Tom Cruise or the Chuck Norris. You know know how Chuck Norris makes fire? He rubs two ice cubes together. That's how Chuck Norris does it. Yeah. What's Chuck Norris do when he cooks? You know, he cuts an onion, he makes the onion cry, as Chuck Norris does. That guy's like 79 now, 79 years old, and like, you know, another 10 years, like a, a good breeze is gonna knock him over. Not quite yet, right? But here's the truth. You can want to be unconquerable, you can want to have an unconquerable uh, body and soul, but it is amazing how time will bring humility into your life. And in your 20s, you can read a, a poem like Invictus and say, yeah, I'm just gonna do it, I'm just gonna overcome it. Then you reach in that reservoir when you're in your 30s, still maybe, 40s, 50s. You're like, wow, my body doesn't do what it used to do. And my mind doesn't work the way it used to work. And if it's all up to you to overcome, you're going to find out that you are a reservoir that's ever shrinking. And life's challenges rarely go down. And so rather than just the power of me, me committing to me, my own reservoir, I want you to look at what Joshua and Caleb discovered. Because Joshua and Caleb discovered something in this passage. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. Now, the we here, this isn't just a talk like, hey, find a buddy and you can overcome anything. Because your buddy's going to have the same problem with his resource or his reservoir. See, Joshua knew. Now, whether you believe this is true, I actually believe it was true, and it's historical. But God was leading the people every day with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night. If you've seen fire tornadoes uh, that, that happen um, out in the West, 
You can actually see even today, there's physical manifestations of what a fire tornado looks like. So this pillar of fire and this pillar of fire was going before them. And so when Joshua says, hey guys, what do you mean we can't do it? Like God is literally with us. We have a cloud and a fire to remind us we can do this if we will anchor ourselves and glue ourselves to our friends and more importantly to God. He's the one that's going to overcome. That's the power of we. Which I think maybe... You know, if you've been around Christian people or, or you've investigated Christianity, you've thought, I can see how Christianity would be a, a good resource for people who need a crutch. You know, people who can't invict us themselves. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't do it yourself. Well, maybe you need something like that. I don't need something like that. The poem's working out fine for me. Thank you very much. But it's amazing how some of our, our country's chief warriors have talked about how Jesus and God is not a crutch, but a reservoir of their strength and courage. It's a book called The Seal of God by Chad Williams. Chad Williams was a Navy SEAL. He served with Navy SEAL 1 and 6. And as he described his experience, his the ways in which they overcame our enemies, the ways in which they conquered the unconquerable, he talks in that book about how it's Jesus Christ, his example and his integration into his life that gave him courage to be a Navy SEAL. He said the idea that I would give my life for someone else I don't even know, may not even agree with, My example of that came from Jesus, who dies for his enemies, dies for people who don't believe the way he believed, and says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And in his book, The Seal of God, he describes how his faith in Jesus wasn't just a crutch for a Navy SEAL, it was his source of strength, the power of we when you get connected to God. About a year ago, I was down in Florida, and I got a chance to talk to a real mentor of mine by book. I didn't know him personally until that day. I got to spend an hour with Henry Cloud. He wrote a book called uh, Boundaries. He does a lot of executive coaching. And he just finished a new book called The Power of Other. As we were chatting together, he shared the story of his brother-in-law. He said he loved his brother-in-law. He was like the brother he never had. And he was a Navy SEAL who had incredible stories about how, you know, one night they would go scuba diving and they'd be literally taking a power nap on the ocean floor to wake up in time to go up and, you know, and battle some enemies and some terrorists and, you know, destroy the terrorists and, and capture the whoever and ransom the whoever and then say, what are we going to have for lunch? I mean, just amazing stories. And he described the hell week that Navy SEALs had to go through to make sure it wasn't just good, but the best of the best of the best made it through. He said, when you're going through that, they push you to utter mental exhaustion. That 60 to 80% of incredibly strong warriors don't make it through the HUD training that they have. So as they're going through the training, Mark has made it. He's made it all the way through. He pushed. And all along the way, you can give up at any time. Now, none of these guys, they spent their whole life sacrificing and planning for this moment, for, for, the, for the beating of this test so they can be a Navy SEAL. But their bodies pushed to the limits. There's no sleep. Mentally, you're pushed to exhaustion. Well, Mark has made it to the shore. And as he looks out, his buddy Bryce is just off the shore, about 100, 200 yards. And he can tell he's no longer swimming the way he was. He's in trouble. And the way Bryce described it is, I wanted to finish it. I wanted to go the last bit. My body just stopped. You ever had that moment where your body just hits the wall? You know, I just dig down deeper. No, I'm talking after you dig down deeper. And after you dig down deeper again and again, and you just hit the wall emotionally, you hit the wall physically. Bryce was there. And he's just about to signal, which is just killing him emotionally, that he's going to give up. 
And his friend Mark sees him out in the ocean, sees him out there starting to give up, runs to the shore and yells out, you can do it, buddy. And Bryce describes that something happened. He can't even tell you what, but having somebody encourage him, speak courage into him, not dig down into those resources, but to find resources from someone else. He said, something happened. It's like a reservoir opened I didn't know I had before. That somebody believed in me. That somebody had accomplished it. That somebody had faith in me. And it was that call across the water that gave me the last bit I needed to overcome and to make it to shore. And you're going to face the moment that you hit the wall. And I'm telling you, at that moment, you need someone bigger than you, greater than you, to encourage you, to put courage into you. To put the energy into you. Put the love and patience into you. It's the power of we with God. Not just the power of me to invictus yourself. The second key is the difference between dependence and defiance. The one thing you definitely get from this poem is it's very, very defiant, right? It's going to overcome. It's going to defeat. It's going to, it's going to beat it back. In the poem it says, In the clutch of circumstances, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloodied but unbowed. So his head is bloody. There's no doubt. He is face to face that life has been incredibly cruel to him and incredibly difficult to him. It's also the sense of, of defiance. But I'm unbowed. I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to overcome. And I guess I would say that that's really great for a while. But you face long-term sickness, long-term pain, the death of a child, and you can want to be unbowed all you want. I would just say, really? I'm not sure you've been realistic about how tough life can be. It won't just bloody you. It'll beat you to the pulp if it can. And there's nothing wrong with trying to take control of your destiny, but there's also some sense of there are things that are beyond your control. And being defiant is not nearly as powerful as being dependent. Because when you're dependent, you can be dependent on a resource bigger than you. That someone could take all things that are bad and work them together for good purposes. That when I'm out of control, someone else might still be in control. That's why what Joshua and Caleb says is so powerful. Joshua says, he is going to bring us into the land. He, it's not just us, our strategies, our resources, our ability to bow. We're not going to let those giants beat us. We're not going to let those walls stop us. They had access to a reservoir of courage. He has promised us for 400 years. He predicted this in advance, that we'd be in bondage for 200 years. For 400 years, rather. He told Abraham that. We're on the cusp of God's plan. It doesn't look like God's plan, but he told us there'd be bad moments, but he would work this together and he would give us the land. The power of dependence. Let's depend on him, guys. We're going into a land flowing with milk and honey if we'll, if we'll face it. Now again, if you want to invictus yourself, I think the idea of telling yourself, hey, I'm just going to be stoic. I'm just going to be unbowed. I'm not going to let it bother me. That's, a, that's an okay mindset. But how do you not let the death of a child bother you? And how do you continue to even see clearly when you're in long-term pain or helping someone with long-term pain? Many of you told me that you prayed for me this week because I went and saw my uh, counselor for the first time for PTSD and uh, hypervigilance this week. And in preparation, I took lots and lots of notes. I just summarized some of them here. Of just the ways in which fear has taken control of my life over the last couple of years. 
And it's not because I have not been vigilant. I'm suffering from hypervigilance. There is no lack of invictusing myself. I promise you that. I have more plans and I have more strategies than you can imagine. But as I looked underneath that, I realized I've become my own reservoir. And that's what's burning me up. So here's just one small list of ways fear has been operating in me. The fear of the future with Quinn. Can I sustain this? The fear of the responsibility falling on my older two kids. I've got to protect them from this. The fear of saving um, to sustain his long-term needs. Imagine being in, in nursing care for 50 years, possibly. How do you save for that? The fear of my health. I had a health scare last year with sugar and, and cholesterol. And oh my goodness, that sort of added to all of the things I'm trying to sustain. The fear of keeping up with all these things. Of my wife's going back into a back issue for the third time. Um, that we thought we were over and then we thought we were over and thought we were over. I've had fear of, in the midst of all that stress, looking at my parents have a really strong marriage and my in-laws have strong marriages, but they also have a lot of weaknesses, right? So do yours. And I've seen the fears of seeing, I wonder if my parents' weaknesses will be Beth and my weaknesses and becoming hyper-diligent about, almost so scared it might happen, I'm causing it to happen. Or seeing the, the, the fears of my in-laws' marriage and saying, oh, I see a pattern that might be heading that way and so fearful of where we might go and it brings stress to where we are. Fear of how I'm perceived especially with special needs of trying to convince people why I need fences that break HOA uh, rules and and going to Chick-fil-A and having to run out and somebody thinks I'm being rude when I just have to get my son out before he uh, blows up because of I didn't have his earphones. The fear is that some things are not going to get better. See, I'm, I'm hopeful. I believe anything's solvable. But man, is that not true. I want it to be true. I mean, I want it to be true. There are so many things I put this much effort in and get this much result. There are just certain things about life, about pain, about long-term back injury, about autism, about lack of speech, about 10 years of potty training. I'm telling you, I cannot move the rock up the mountain despite invictusing myself to death. And the fear of loss of freedom. I love freedom. And the loss of freedom that is just required being a, a, a caregiver. Um... It's amazing how that has affected me. So I was talking to a friend of mine who attends here at Horizon. He's a high-power leader. And when I shared last couple months that I've been dealing with fear and anxiety, and he called me up, he said, you know, I've been dealing with that the last year too. And so he's been checking on me. He's been very, very nice. And he said, I'm just praying for you and thinking of you. He goes, Chad, you know, I'm not somebody who needs to be dependent, really, in any area of my life. i got all the resources I need. And, and so I don't really think of dependence as even a value. But this last year, as I've been face-to-face with the kind of thing you're facing, I'm realizing I'm 100% dependent upon God in those moments. And I'm learning things that I could not learn in any other area of my life. And I'm hoping as you go through this time, you know you're not alone, but you know that God is going to work through this dependence that you're experiencing. I thought, you know, I've been at Horizon 15 years. It's one of the things I love about our church, the idea that we can teach something besides just invictusing yourself. What does it look like for those of us who are high-powered and we got lots of resources and lots of talents to actually move from Invictus to Lord with us? That we can be a place that we and our friends who often can't be worn out by life, but when we hit the wall can realize we've needed a greater resource all along. In fact, as we look at the next couple months, that's one of the things that's been great is that uh, you know, the stress from all different areas, the stress at, at, at the job has not been the case at all. It's been such an incredible time. I mean, you guys have been so generous and there's been so many people serving and inviting and just new people coming. And the next couple of months, there's just a very exciting time at Horizon. We're gonna, you're going to see video equipment being installed here in the next 30 days as we move to video services. 
We've got an app being developed right now. Very, very cool. It's going to allow you to watch services. So if you hear a message like a few weeks from now or next week about depression, it's helpful for you. You can actually be able to send an app to your friends so they can see that and watch that. By the end of the summer, we're hoping somewhere in there to have access to live stream services, uh, or at least uh, on-demand services and live stream by the end of the summer. And then we're going to be able to offer additional services beyond our current four as we continue to see growth. So it's just a very exciting time. And to be part of a community that's so generous, and we raised you know, almost a million dollars last year, and, and we're almost to the, to the cost of not only that, but for the operational cost. And if you're feeling called to be part of that, by the way, just to help other people discover what God says and discover what God's doing and find freedom from fear in your own life or freedom from, from purposelessness or meaninglessness, that's a great time to do that. But for me, it's been so rewarding to see God do in me the things I've told others he could do in them. We had a staff meeting this week, and it just reminded me of why I love our church, why I love our two-service design, and why I love how God works in our different environments. So I was sharing that we had a friend who uh, just graduated from college recently and considers himself a bit of an agnostic, but he loves coming to Horizon. And I love the idea that people who don't believe the way we believe love coming and hearing hopefully creative and authentic and excellent messages. And they said, hey, I really want to volunteer. Well, aren't you still kind of considering yourself an agnostic? Yeah, but I, I love this environment, what it's done for me and, and my ability to, to, to doubt and question. And I want to help other people do the same thing. And I thought, what a cool place that agnostics want to volunteer to help other people on their own journey. Somebody else got a call and said, hey, I was talking to somebody about three years ago, just started growing spiritually, but not really sure if they were bought into the whole thing. And I caught up with them this week and they're a lawyer and they said, you know what, I've had a real challenge which is all my business partners wanted me to drop this case and settle because it's a lot easier, it's a lot less expensive. But as I've been growing spiritually, I felt like God was telling me to be courageous and to take on the tougher task here of taking this all the way to trial. And it was not a popular decision. But I really felt like it was what God had asked me to do. And he's really rewarded that the reason we did it and what we were fighting against really did pay off. He was talking about how it was his encounter with God that helped him be better at his job and be more courageous than maybe he typically would have been courageous. See, that's the difference between just defiance. And again, I, I'm a maverick. I love being defiant. I've never found a rule I didn't want to break. But there's a difference between defiance and dependence when you have access to this greater resource. The third key to courageous living is the difference between self-denial and self-delusion. So you can delude yourself into thinking, no matter what happens, I'm not going to be fearful. And you can just be stoic, right? I'm not sure stoicism will be make you the most emotionally healthy person. Now, in, in a moment, in an hour, in a day, maybe even a year, you got to be a little stoic. But look how stoic he is here in this, this circumstance. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms with the horror of the shade. So he's got a pretty accurate view of how difficult this is, right? And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. Really? You lost your leg. You're about to lose your other leg. He will lose his daughter. And ultimately his battle with tuberculosis will take his life at 53. You can tell yourself you're not afraid. Or you can do some journaling and find out just how many fears you have. I'm not sure self-deluding yourself into saying that nothing's going to bother me is particularly honest or emotionally healthy. It matters not how straight the gate, maybe an allusion to Jesus and his comments about the narrow gate, how charged the punishments of the scroll, which might come from the book of Revelation, the idea that the end of your life, 
There's a scroll that keeps track of your good deeds. And if you don't choose grace, you're going to be evaluated based on what you do and don't do. And he's saying, I don't care about eternity. I don't care what Jesus said. I'm the master of my faith. I am the captain of my soul. And again, in some sense, I read this poem and I'm inspired. But if you dig a little deeper, I'm telling you, it's not sustainable. Invictus is good. Lord with us is better. You've got all the benefits of Invictus, but you say, no, I'm not the master of my faith. I need to trust someone who can control the things I can't control. My journal's got so many lists right now. Things I can't fix, but want to. (laughs) Things I can influence, at least a little. And trying to make the distinction between trying to play God and control things I can't control is what is driving my, my brain and my heart batty. I thought I could be the master of my soul and control things that can't be controlled by anyone but God. What does it mean to surrender those, not be self-deluded, but self-sacrifice and say instead, God, I want to sacrifice. And if this is what you've called me to, I want to walk in this faithfully. That's what's amazing about the speech that Joshua and Caleb give, right? So they turn to all the people. They've just returned back. Everyone's there. What do you think? Can we do it? And they're like, listen, God promises a land of milk and honey. Do not rebel against him. God has already removed the protection from our enemies. God is with us. Do not fear. And what's the response from the stirring speech? Stone them. What? I worked really hard on that speech. That was a good speech. And what you're getting from all your audience is somebody wanting to throw a big stone at you? Oh. There are times you're going to prepare, you're going to do your best, you're going to be strong, you've done everything right, you're going to get a stone in the face. Thank you very much. And so being deluded that you can always overcome on your own resources is not nearly as powerful as, are you willing to give up your life for others? And Joshua and Caleb are going to be willing to give up their life. In fact, they'll give up 40 years of their life because they're so trusting 40 years they'll be put on the bench because of the decision made today. And they will still, 40 years later, at 80 years old, be just as courageous and just as strong. In fact, Caleb will say, I want to take the most difficult land at 80. He takes the hill country, hardest to to advance because everybody above you has a higher military advantage. And at 80 years old, he's still got the same courage because he says, because God is still with me at 80 like he was at 40. Self-sacrifice. See, the difference between invictusing yourself is just basically a belief in karma. If you do good things, you get good things. And that's true a lot of the times, right? But isn't it also true that a lot of people do good things and you get bad things? And a lot of times you do bad things and you're like, hey, hey, that guy did bad things. That woman did bad things. Why is she getting good things? Grace offers something more than just karma. More than just invictusing yourself is the belief that God can work through grace. He can give you courage you don't deserve. He can give you forgiveness you don't deserve. He can work in your life when you need it, not when you've earned it. And more than just planning for karma, you can invite grace into your life. That could be the grace of courage and the grace of wisdom and difficulty. I love how Bono says it. Bono had a great explanation of grace and and, uh, karma recently. He said, it's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, that what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye or, or a tooth for a tooth. But he goes on. And yet, along comes this idea of grace. To upend all that as you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions. Which in my case is very good news. Because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. 
That's between me and God. But I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be finally my judge. I'd be in deep dog doo-doo. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace, he says. And he concludes this way. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins upon that cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity, my own addictusing myself religiously. The point of the death of Christ is what we put out did not come back to us. That's the point. It should keep us humbled, dependent. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. So even Bono has discovered... Even as he is invictus in some pretty amazing things in the music industry, in his own popularity, and negotiating with countries to help them forgive debt of, of, of third world countries. He's done some pretty amazing things. He says his secret has not been invictus. It's been Lord with us. The sense that he needed grace, not karma. Because what I'm telling you again is when you look at your life, there's going to be some point which you're going to put on the ankle weights of some difficult circumstance. It may not be special needs. It may be a failed marriage. And you're like, I, I said I would never get divorced. And then you're struck with the weight that you have. And you did try your best and your best. And you're hypervigilant. And you just couldn't fix it. When you get that doctor's report and you go see all the specialists. And they're all the best of the best of the best. But it turns out it's terminal. When you parented the best you could and you read all the books, you did everything right, you took them to a psychologist and it still turns out your kids won't speak to you again and are taking the grandkids from you and it is totally unreasonable. And you wear that and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm out of forgiveness for my son. I'm out of patience for my daughter. It's in those moments you're going to need something more than just willpower and trying harder. It's amazing in history is the power of resurrection was exactly that. Rodney Stark is a sociologist. He's also a historian. And he studied in the 250s to 300 AD that Christianity began to overpower the Roman Empire because of the power of Lord with us as it came to resurrection. Christian doctors, Christian nurses, Christian professionals were running toward areas of the plague. The plague. Smallpox was killing 5,000 people a day in Rome. A day. Anyone who had means, anyone who had... The ability to be transient was moving out of the cities and escaping to the countryside. Get away from the sickness. But not the Christians. The Christians believed they had more than one life to give. Death was not the ultimate enemy. Jesus had defeated death. So if you die in this life, nobody wants to die in this life. But if they did die, they knew they would live in eternity with God. So they became incredibly self-sacrificing. They began to care for people who believed differently from them. They started hospitals and doctors. They began to nurse, with, nurse people and bandage people and walk with people and have them not be alone as they were dying. This type of community was foreign to the Roman world. So foreign, in fact, that Christianity it, it like explodes in the 250s to 300s because they saw a level of sacrifice and other-centeredness. And those Christians said, well, where'd you get this? I don't see this in the Roman Empire. I didn't care about anyone or anything except money and sex. They said, because of Jesus who died on the cross for what I did wrong and the hope I have of resurrection, that even if I die here with you, this is not my life. It's just a piece of my life. I'm going to live in eternity because I know what happens when I die. So we've been doing in this series, we've been reading a piece of poetry from the culture and a piece of poetry from the Bible. I'd like you to hear a piece of poetry, a mantra used by the early church to inspire them to be courageous even in the face of death. Let's pray. Father, 
I ask you would encourage each one of us that we cannot be alone, that you are with us, that we can be strong and courageous, for you will never leave us or forsake us. For we can be strong and very courageous, for you are with us wherever we go and wherever our feet trod, you will give that land to us. That we will meditate on your promises, we will meditate on your truths day and night, not turn to the left or to the right, for you are with us. That we would be strong and courageous in the face of our challenges, even in the face of death itself. Amen. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.